0: This is the Green Street News, Patty and Doug Wood and our network of experts with your weekly update on the environment and your health. Welcome back. On today's show, we're gonna talk about, drum roll please, utility meters. Now, you may wonder what's the issue with utility meters and the answer is for a growing number of people, the new digital utility meters that are being placed on homes, businesses and apartment buildings all over the country in the name of modernizing the grid Well, it turns out they've been causing people to develop a whole constellation of health problems that immediately disappear when the meter is removed. And, of course, Patty will cover the week's other news, including the news about the rain. That's all coming up on this edition of Great Street News. Stay with us. what happened in the world of environmental health this week?
1: Well, everybody knows that we had this rail accident in Ohio, so it turns out that this was not the first one in that area and probably will not be the last one. Oh, boy. Um, the title of, of this article is, After the Eighth Catastrophic Train Derailment in the Greater Pittsburgh Area in Five Years, Advocates Demand Better Protections. Last week, about 50 Norfolk Southern train cars derailed in East Palestine, Ohio, Everyone living in a one-mile radius of the crash site was ordered to evacuate due to concerns that the burning train cars could cause explosions or harmful emissions of hazardous materials, including vinyl chloride. Exposure to vinyl chloride is linked to an increased risk of cancer in the liver, brain, lungs, and blood. Residents experienced burning in their eyes and throats from the orange plumes resulting from the crash, but it's unknown exactly what other hazardous materials are burning in the fire and what additional health threats they pose. According to the Federal Rail Administration, at least one train slips off the tracks every day in the United States. And reports have warned of risks of similar accidents across the country.
0: It, it was an unbelievable conflagration. I mean, the, the you saw oh. the flames shooting into the air, and the the it smoke that was
1: billowing,
0: yeah. billowing, black. and the
1: color brown and black. And you know, it was just filled with these toxic chemicals. Yeah. And this this was the eighth major train derailment in the greater Pittsburgh area in the last five years. So that area has a lot of train traffic, Mm -hmm. and there's reason why. So the environmental nonprofit group Penn Environment Research and Policy Center released a report entitled Danger Around the Bend, the Threat of Oil Trains in Pennsylvania, which showed the risk that trains carrying explosive and toxic materials may pose to nearby communities in case of an accident. David Mazur, executive director of Penn Environment, said the fiery blast on the Pennsylvania-Ohio border is a stark reminder of the threat posed to our cities, towns and communities from trains carrying explosive materials across Pennsylvania and the United States every day.
0: And they want to carry nuclear waste on those same rails.
1: Oh, yeah. Dr. Ned Ketger, president of Pennsylvania Physicians for Social Responsibility, said the exact identities of the hazardous chemicals released into the air from the explosion and fire should have been known and disclosed immediately to residents, yeah, yeah. first responders, and local government officials responsible for protecting the public in an emergency. Not knowing that information during and after the evacuation puts those individuals in proximity to the spreading toxic plume at risk for health consequences, some of which may appear days or weeks or months actually from now, right? Pittsburgh is downwind of the site of the accident. Air monitors throughout the region showed high levels of air pollution, but no warnings have been issued to anyone outside the immediate vicinity of the accident. Not a single public agency has cautioned the tens of thousands downwind of the burning train to stay indoors. Isn't Nobody.
0: This, isn't this always the way that there's some, you know, some big oh, accident? Oh, yeah. And, Tamp and,
1: it down. Oh, Tamp yeah. It down. Everything's fine. How about 9-11, Everything's fine. right? How about 9-11? EPA came out the very next day and said, air safe to breathe. Twenty-some years later, here we are, you know, with advertisements every half hour on the radio telling people to call some law firm if you worked you know, in the, if you, if worked, you worked, in the, worked or lived or yeah. whatever went to school in the area your cancer that you've just been diagnosed with you know may have been caused by this but okay no one was injured in the explosion but local advocates warned that trains carrying hazardous substances also run through some of Pittsburgh's most populated neighborhoods currently listen to this. 40 to 50% of all the volatile and crude oil going to the East Coast refineries comes directly through Pittsburgh. And with Shell's newly opened plastic plant and growing natural gas infrastructure throughout the region, the length and volume of these bomb trains is only going to increase exponentially.
0: I'm assuming that this is an infrastructure problem where the railroads don't have the money to, you know, to ensure safety. But clearly, we're going to have to find a solution rail, here.
1: Yeah, First I mean, the of all, railroads are, are way underfunded in this country. You know, freight trains are just—they're going day and night, night and day. Well, across it is—it is one of the
0: most efficient ways to move stuff around. Absolutely. Because once you get a train going, it doesn't take that much energy to, to keep, keep it going. going That's right? right? It's just That's a little right. bit. That's right. So trains are definitely one of the one most of the most energy that we efficient
1: need. solutions. But, and, uh, but but we're we're moving hazardous materials yeah. through people's backyards, yeah, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we got to stop with the oil anyway. Okay. Speaking well, of well, oil. Speaking of oil, <laughs> yes.
1: So the oil companies want to be able to frack for oil off the coast of California. So I've they're been... asking the Supreme Court now to get involved. Uh
0: oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy.
1: All right. So, the title of this article is Oil Industry Takes Offshore Fracking Case to the Supreme Court. Oh, boy. The fossil fuel industry is asking the Supreme Court to resolve a legal battle over hydraulic fracturing off the California coast, a fight companies say carries enormous practical and legal significance. The American Petroleum Institute, Exxon Mobil Corp, and Decor LLC filed a petition for justices to reverse a 2022 ruling from a lower bench that upheld a ban on all new permits for unconventional oil production methods on the Pacific Outer Continental Shelf. A ruling by the High Court could have implications for the pace of the nation's transition away from fossil fuels. The Pacific Outer Continental Shelf is estimated to contain about 10 billion barrels of untapped oil and 16 trillion cubic feet of untapped natural gas, the industry says. If allowed to stand, the decision below will undermine the development of oil, natural gas, and renewable energy on the entire Outer Continental Shelf, industry lawyers claimed.
0: Yeah, but isn't that the whole point?
1: Yes, Isn't the whole point the... of the ban is to stop stop drilling for fossil fuels and burning them and creating greenhouse gases that are warming the planet and causing all these catastrophic events. So the
0: industry is going to go to the fr- industry friendly going to the yep. Supreme yep. Court and ask them to get rid of this ban. Yep. And I, I wouldn't so be surprised let's just talk if about the And
1: since this is an environmental show, successful. let me just mention environmental groups hailed the ruling by the ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals as a key victory toward curbing rising greenhouse gas emissions and protecting the biodiverse Pacific Outer Continental Shelf, sometimes known as the Galapagos of North America, which I did not know. The decision to halt fracking was exceedingly well-reasoned, and I hope the court rejects the oil industry's reckless attempt to overturn the Ninth Circuit's ruling, said Kristen Monsell, Oceans Legal Director at the Center for Biological Diversity. The environmental group is among those that took legal action to prevent future offshore fracking in the Pacific Ocean. Monsell added, fracking is dangerous to whales, sea otters, and other marine wildlife, and this dirty, harmful technique has no place in our oceans
0: nature is more fragile than we think you know and and things like fracking can really upset the whole ecosystem underwater that we don't see but it has significant effects on the whole rest of the food chain right
1: and now for our final story the rain is contaminated with PFAS the rain the rain. So here We're you go. We're not talking
0: about the rain in Spain. Title, We're talking about nope, all rain nope, in the The title world? is
1: Rainwater Unsafe to Drink Due to Chemicals. Rainwater everywhere on the planet is unsafe to drink due to levels of toxic chemicals known as PFAS that exceed the latest guidelines, according to a new study by Stockholm University scientists. Commonly known as forever chemicals because they disintegrate extremely slowly, PFAS, which stands for per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, were initially found in packaging, shampoo, or makeup, but have spread to our entire environment, including our air and water." There is nowhere on earth where the rain would be safe to drink, according to the measurements that we have taken. says Ian Cousins, a professor at the university and the lead author of the study published in Environmental Science and Technology. A compilation of the data since 2010 that his team studied showed that, quote, Even in Antarctica or the Tibetan Plateau, the levels in the rainwater are above the drinking water guidelines that the U.S. EPA, that's our own Environmental Protection Agency, proposed. Normally considered pristine, the two regions still have PFAS level 14 times higher than the U.S. drinking water guidelines. Once ingested, PFAS accumulates in the body. According to some studies, exposure leads to problems with fertility, developmental delays in children, increased risks of obesity or certain cancers, prostate, kidney, and testicular, and an increase in cholesterol levels. Cousins said that PFAS were now so persistent and ubiquitous that they will never disappear from the planet. We have made the planet inhospitable to human life by irreversibly contaminating it now so that nothing is clean anymore, and to the point that it's not clean enough to be safe, he said.
0: Fourteen times the EPA safe drinking water level in Tibet. Correct. In the rainwater in Tibet.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, yeah. Yeah. Just
0: think about let me, this. Yeah,
1: let me just keep reading what this guy said, this, um, you know, this Ian Cousins, who's a professor at the university that did this study. Quote, we have crossed a planetary boundary, referring to a central paradigm for evaluating Earth's capacity to absorb the impact of human activity. It's not a great situation to be in where we've contaminated the environment to the point where background exposure is no longer safe.
0: And we continue to manufacture these chemicals.
1: Right. And they're going to, oh, but they, but they say that they're going to they're stop manufacturing them in 2025, maybe 2027. Why are we waiting?
0: And they're going to continue to pollute even after we stop making oh, them in the factory. The for fact hundreds
1: is, and hundreds and hundreds of years.
0: It's every pizza box.
1: It's every pizza box, it's every microwave popcorn bag. It's mascara that, that it's gets every washed it's off every your breeze. eyelashes and goes down the drain. And it's in clothing, and it's in manufacturing equipment, and it's in upholstery materials and construction materials. And it's in so many things. Carpeting is a huge source of PFAS.
0: Basically, they can't make... Plastic things without PFAS, right? Because this it, is, yeah, it, this, it's, it's like a lubricant I for the means, manufacturing process. I need some process. real
1: proof on this, but I have heard from somebody in the American Chemistry Council who said that we can't make plastic without adding PFAS to it because it allows the plastic material to go through the extruders and the molds that we use in the manufacturing process without sticking.
0: And so because we don't want them to stick... We have to tell our kids, don't stick out your tongue and catch those snowflakes anymore because they're above the APA drinking water level. Is that right?
1: The PFAS levels in the snow. Yeah, I'm afraid.
0: All right. Thanks, Patty. You're welcome. If you pay the bills in your family, chances are good you pay an electric bill every month. And the amount you pay is determined by how much electricity you use. And that is determined by your electric meter. That's that round plastic or glass thing in the gray metal box that's located where the main electrical service comes into the building. For most houses, it's outside on a wall. In apartment buildings, it's part of a bank of meters that may be on an outside wall or in the basement near the laundry room. For years and years, the meters have quietly done their business, keeping track of how much electricity goes through your meter. Every month or so, an employee of the utility company comes and reads the meter. In fact, we call them meter readers. It's a real job listed on ZipRecruiter. But those jobs are going away. Beginning in the early 2000s, digital wireless meter companies began lobbying utilities to replace their analog meter with digital meters that would automatically transmit the customer's usage information to the utility. Not only that, but the utility could remotely control a customer's power, so they could turn it off if the customer didn't pay the bill. They could collect valuable data about the customer's usage habits, including when they were home and when they were away. And they could charge more money for using power during peak periods. There was no real benefit to the consumers from these new meters, but it was an unmitigated bonanza for the power companies. They scrambled to get the meters and started deploying them to their customers. Under the guise of creating a smart grid, the utilities and the meter manufacturers successfully lobbied Congress to include hundreds of millions of dollars for the utilities to purchase millions of new smart meters. And by the end of 2018, the U.S. had over 86 million smart meters installed there was only one problem. No one ever tested the meters to see if they were safe for people.
2: Nobody is paying any attention to their utility meters. I mean, my friends who have digital meters on their homes, they're not paying any attention to what those meters are doing. They're not paying any attention to the fact that the utility ultimately wants to collect their data to sell it to third parties. They're just not paying attention. Nobody's ever really paid much attention to utility meters until recently.
0: That's Michelle Hertz, an artist and illustrator from Westchester, New York, who lived in one of the first villages to receive the new digital smart meters. Like tens of thousands of other people across the country, Michelle began to feel sick soon after the digital meter was installed.
2: It started with heart palpitations and heart arrhythmia, and agitation, headaches. I stopped being able to concentrate on my work. I was practically working full-time as a full-time artist and illustrator. I had just illustrated a book and I had tingling in my fingers and in my feet and terrible insomnia. And my intestines just kind of gave out on me, and I lost a tremendous amount of weight. And we couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. My doctor, who had been my doctor for a very long time, didn't know. Nobody knew. And I suddenly started to realize that when I was outside, I felt better. So just... On a whim, I called an electrician that I know who teaches electricians. He's a really smart guy. And I said, could there be something wrong with my electrical system? I I don't know. There's nothing toxic in my house. I'm very careful. And he said, well, those new digital meters are a problem.
0: Up until then, Michelle, like most people, had paid very little attention to her utility meter but she began to suspect that it might have something to do with her worsening health condition.
2: We actually hired an engineer because I knew there was something really, really wrong with these meters electrically and maybe with the wireless. And so we hired an engineer. He was a radio frequency industry engineer, and he didn't really actually know anything about biology but he knew a lot about radio frequency radiation. So he spent the day in Hastings with myself and a couple of neighbors, and he took a test in one of my neighbor's basements. He plugged a big machine, a big expensive machine into their basement outlet. And he waited for a long time and found that the radio frequency radiation that was transmitting from the meter was also conducting into the house, onto the wiring. And we, we learned that that's kind of an antenna effect, and that can re-radiate at any place inside of a house. So depending on people's, the construction of a home, depending on the metal in a person's body, depending on their health, their immune system, where the meters are located, that's what's gonna determine if someone gets sick.
0: Things got even worse for Michelle. She couldn't work. She couldn't sleep. She had terrible ringing in her ears.
2: At one point, I thought maybe I was just getting early Alzheimer's because I was just not remembering. I was forgetting things and words. And so I, you know, I was thinking, I'm losing my mind. And if people don't know what's causing these problems, these cognitive problems, then they just they end up going to their doctors, their doctors don't know, they get put on drugs, they, nobody knows, nobody believes them. They just It's just sort of this, it's a very sad story.
0: Eventually, Michelle and her family had had enough. She called the utility and pleaded with them to come and take the meter off her house and put the old analog meter back.
2: And then the utility finally came and they took off the transmitting AMR meter and they replaced it with a so-called non-transmitting digital meter. And I continued to be very, very sick. And after about a week, I contacted the utility again from the studio where I was working. I was sitting on the floor and I was so upset because I couldn't concentrate on my work and I wasn't accomplishing anything in my work. And I said, if you don't get that meter off of my house, I'm going to die of a heart attack. When they took this non-transmitting meter that they had tried on me off of my house, I actually didn't watch. I sat at my kitchen table. And when they took it off, I actually just sunk and put my head in my hands. I couldn't believe what I felt. Like I was, I had been being electrocuted. And it wasn't long after that, that I stopped having these like memory problems and I started to get better.
0: And that's when artist and illustrator Michelle Hertz became activist Michelle Hertz.
2: At that moment, I said, this is not just happening to me. This has to be happening to other people. So I contacted all of my elected officials. I contacted village board members, the mayor, my state representatives, federal agencies. And I got such an extraordinarily bizarre runaround. It was unbelievable from everyone. And I just decided at that time in 2010 that I wasn't going to let this go because I knew it was happening to other people. And I started to notice other people who were getting sick, you know, not long after I learned what happened to me, I ran into two women, both younger than I was, and I was 51 at the time, wearing heart monitors. And they said they didn't know what was wrong with them. Their doctors told them they had to wear heart monitors. I started a website called Stop Smart Meters NY and started hearing from people all over New York, people who live in apartment buildings, in houses. And, you know, I wonder to myself sometimes if this hadn't happened to me, would I believe people? Because we can't see this and we can't, some people can hear it. I actually had also terrible ringing in my ears. And most of the symptoms that I had really never came back as they had been, although it left me with an injury so I can't live with wireless radiation in my house. We all use cell phones, I mean I did, I use cell phones, we had Wi-Fi. We're professionals, everybody in my household, my kids they had cell phones, and no problem. It wasn't until that meter was put on that threw me over the edge. And that has happened to so many people. So the meters, they affect people in a different way.
0: Electric meters have been around since 1888 when an inventor named Oliver Schallenberger received the first patent for an electric meter. In the decades that followed, as electricity became more common in homes, companies in the business of supplying electricity to consumers placed mechanical meters just ahead of the distribution box to measure how much electricity was being used and to protect the home's wiring and prevent fires in the event of an electrical surge throughout the system. If you're like me, you may remember watching the little wheel go around and around as the electricity went through the meter.
2: Digital meters are electrical and radio frequency, unprecedented, unregulated frequencies coming in on our wiring and through the air. Now, an analog meter was literally designed to protect the electrical system from surges from the grid, from any contamination that might come from the grid. The patent for analog meters is for surge arresters, and it. The analog meter is like a conductive metal map to ground, and it, it has no electronic components, and it never, ever, they've never been a problem. There have never been complaints about them. But as soon as people started getting those digital meter, their w- reports started to come in. The utilities used my village at the time as an experiment. So there's so many variables and some people don't get sick and some people do. I think with my house where the construction, where the electrical system and the construction allowed for it, everybody living in that house had effects. I got the worst. I can't explain that. It's just one person after another has a different story. Maybe somebody is sleeping three feet away from a meter and they get sick. Maybe someone is in an apartment on the second floor of a building where there's supposedly a non-transmitting meter on the first floor and the person on the second floor is getting sick. It's just so variable, but electricity is really wily. And for the utility companies to do this without testing is really stupid and they know there's a problem.
0: State utility commissions have jurisdiction over the delivery and cost of utilities like electricity, gas, steam, telecommunications, and water. In New York State, the Public Service Commission has the authority to authorize the use of new kinds of meters. So naturally, when the new digital meters came along, they were tested. But maybe not in the way you think.
2: The utilities can't say that these meters fall within any guidelines because the meters were never tested, including at the FCC. What they did was they took a utility meter, a digital utility meter, and they altered it and put a power cord on it, and then they plugged it in. Utility meters don't have a power cord on them into an outlet, that is just such a failure so the only test that these meters have had by government regulators is testing for accuracy for analog meters so that's how these meters got approved
0: apparently no one thought to test to see a if the digital wireless meter would impact the wiring inside the home or b whether it might be safe for people their only concern was whether or not it was accurate
2: We were literally experimented on with these meters. I mean, just one person after another. That's one of the reasons that it's been all these years and I can't just let it go.
0: Utilities claim the meters only transmit information occasionally, but tests have shown that they can be remotely programmed to transmit hundreds of times a day. And while the utilities promise they won't sell the data they collect about your living habits, your routines, your daily schedule, we all know what happens to valuable personal data that's supposed to remain private. The utilities also claim that smart meters can help you save money on your utility bill, but anecdotal evidence suggests exactly the opposite. Many customers have complained that their bills went up substantially once the smart meter was installed.
2: So the only Safe meter at this point is is an analog meter period and there's no argument
0: Michelle Hertz is the founder and president of NYSUMA the New York Safe Utility Meter Association on the web at nysuma.org. I'll put the link on the Green Street News website, which is where, by the way, you can always hear this program again if you missed any part of it, greenstreetnews.org. For those of you who live in New York State, please know that Senator Pete Harcum has introduced a bill in the Senate, that's S8765, that would require every utility to give its customers a choice as to whether or not they want a smart meter. Under the bill's provisions, if you move into a house or apartment with a smart meter, you can ask the utility to come and replace the meter. It's not a perfect bill, no piece of legislation ever is, but it's a really good bill, and we hope everyone listening to this program in New York will call or write their legislator asking them to support this important bill. If not for you, then for the people who are really suffering every day. Thank you so much. Green Street News is on all the podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud. So if you have friends around the country who might be interested in hearing what's really going on in the world that can impact their health and safety, please tell them about Green Street News. It's critical information everyone deserves to know. Thanks again to our special guest, Michelle Hertz, our engineer, Reggie Johnson, our news maven, Ellen Weiniger, our webmaster, Allison Dunn, and our marketing director, Patricia Bridges. I'm Doug Wood. Patty and I will be back next week with another show. Thanks for listening.